0: Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 13 Crucified and Risen.
1: The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Luke chapter 24. Verse 7, New King James Version. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year to the Passover feast. And when he was twelve years old, they went up, as was their custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem. Now his parents did not know this, but supposing him to be in the caravan, they traveled on a day's journey, and then they sought him diligently looking up and down for him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they failed to find him, they went back to Jerusalem, looking for him up and down all the way. After three days they found him, came upon him in the court of the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished and overwhelmed and bewildered with wonder at his intelligence and understanding and his replies. And when Joseph and Mary saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Here your father and I have been anxiously looking for you, distressed and tormented. And he said to them, How is it that you had to look for me? Did you not see and know that it is necessary as a duty for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business? But they did not comprehend what he was saying to them. From childhood, Jesus was conscious that he had come to this earth to fulfill his father's will. He taught, healed, and ministered with an unwavering commitment to obey the father. Now the time had come, after celebrating the Last Supper, to walk alone, to affirm God's will, to be betrayed and denied, to be tried and crucified, and to rise victorious over death. Throughout his life, Jesus knew about the inevitability of the cross. Many times in the Gospels, the word must is used in relationship to the sufferings and death of Jesus. Let's listen to seven of them from the Amplified Bible. Luke chapter 17, verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things, and be disapproved, and repudiated, and rejected by this age and generation. Luke chapter 22, verse 37. For I tell you that this scripture must yet be fulfilled in me. And he was counted and classed among the wicked, the outlaws, the criminals, for what is written about me has its fulfillment, has reached its end, and is finally settled. Luke chapter 24, verse 7 That the Son of Man must be given over into the hands of sinful men, men whose way or nature is to act in opposition to God, and be crucified and on the third day rise from death. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 From that time forth... Jesus began clearly to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the high priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised from death. Mark chapter 8 verse 31 And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must of necessity suffer many things and be tested and disapproved and rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be put to death, and after three days rise again from death. Mark chapter 9 verse 12 And he said to them, Elijah, it is true, does come first to restore all things, and set them to rights. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things, and be utterly despised and be treated with contempt and rejected and john chapter 3 verse 14 and just as moses lifted up the serpent in the desert on a pole so must so it is necessary that the son of man be lifted up on the cross he must go to jerusalem he must suffer he must be rejected, he must be lifted up. Nothing would deter the Son of God from going to Golgotha. Then Peter took him aside to speak to him privately, and began to reprove and charge him sharply, saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned away from Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan! You are in my way, an offense, and a hindrance, and a snare to me. For you are minding what partakes not of the nature and quality of God, but of men. Jesus denounced, as coming from Satan, any suggestion, in this case, Peter's suggestion, to reject the cross. He was convinced that he must go, suffer, be killed, and be raised. Luke chapter 24, verses 25, 26, and 46. First, speaking with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, sluggish in mind, dull of perception, and slow of heart to believe, adhere to, and trust in, and rely on everything that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary And essentially fitting that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer all these things before entering into his glory, his majesty and splendor? Verse 46 of the same chapter, Jesus, after his resurrection, is assuring his disciples that he had fulfilled prophecy. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from among the dead to jesus the journey to the cross was not an option it was a must as colossians chapter 1 verse 26 depicts christ's sacrificial death as part of the divine mystery kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the lord's people
0: Gethsemane, The Fearsome
1: Struggle At the dawn of history, God created Adam and Eve and placed them in a beautiful garden, blessed with all that they needed for a life of joy. Soon, something extraordinary happened. Satan appeared. The sad story is told in Genesis chapter 3. He tempted the first couple and then plunged the young earth into a mighty controversy between good and evil, between God and Satan. In Eden, the world was plunged into the disaster of sin. Eden saw the tragic triumph of self asserting itself against God. Now, in God's own time, another garden became a mighty battleground, where the war between truth and falsehood, between righteousness and sin and between God's plan for human salvation and Satan's goal for human destruction, raged. In Gethsemane, the world's ultimate victory was assured. Gethsemane showed self surrendering itself to God and revealing the victory over sin. Compare what happened in Eden with what happened in Gethsemane. What was the big difference in what happened in both gardens? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The Garden of Eden. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, and blessing and calamity. And when the woman saw that the tree was good, suitable, pleasant for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise. She took of its fruit, and ate, and she gave some also to her husband, and he ate. The Garden of Gethsemane. Here is how Luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 46 portrays the battle in Gethsemane. And he came out and went, as was his habit to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not at all enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but always yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him in spirit. And being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently, and his sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down upon the ground. And when he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from grief. And he said to them, "'Why do you sleep?' Get up and pray that you may not enter at all into temptation. Gethsemane stands for two crucial things. First, for a most vicious attempt of Satan to derail Jesus from God's mission and purpose. Next, for the noblest example of reliance on God's strength to accomplish his will and purpose. Gethsemane shows that however strong the battle is, and however weak the self is, victory is certain to those who have experienced the strength of prayer. As Jesus so famously prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22, verse 42, New King James Version All the hosts of Satan were arraigned against Jesus. The disciples, whom he loved so much, were numb to his suffering. Drops of blood were falling drop by drop. The betrayer's kiss was just a breath away. And the priests and the temple guards were about to pounce. Yet, Jesus showed us that prayer and submission to God's will give the needed strength to the soul to bear life's great burdens. Next time you are severely tempted, how can you have the kind of experience Jesus had in Gethsemane, as opposed to what Adam and Eve had in Eden? What is the crucial factor that makes all the difference between them? Judas. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Luke chapter 22, verse 3, New International Version No doubt Satan worked hard to get all of the disciples. What was it about Judas, though, that enabled the adversary to succeed so well with him, in contrast to the others? No doubt Satan worked hard to get all of the disciples. What was it about Judas, though, that enabled the adversary to succeed so well with him, in contrast to the others. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16 tells us, Now in those days it occurred that he went up into a mountain to pray, and spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he summoned his disciples and selected from them twelve, whom he named apostles, special messengers. They were Simon whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, a treacherous, basely, faithless person. Let's also listen to John chapter 17, verses 6 through 9. I have manifested your name, I have revealed your very self, your real self, to the people whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed and kept your word. Now, at last, they know and understand that all you have given me belongs to you. It is really and truly yours. For the uttered words that you gave me, I have given them. And they have received and accepted them, and have come to know positively and in reality, to believe with absolute assurance that I came forth from your presence, and they have believed and are convinced that you did send me. I am praying for them. I am not praying, requesting for the world, but for those you have given me, for they belong to you. Luke tells how Jesus prayed alone all night in the mountains before he chose his disciples, and Jesus believed that the twelve were God's gift to him. Was Judas really an answer to prayer? How are we to understand what is going on here other than that, even in Judas' betrayal and apostasy, God's purpose was to be fulfilled? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 8 Paul the Apostle says, For we can do nothing against the truth, not serve any party or personal interest, but only for the truth, which is the gospel. Judas, who had so much potential, who could have been another Paul, instead went in a completely wrong direction. What could have been a Gethsemane experience for him was, instead, like the fall in Eden.
0: He had fostered the evil spirit of avarice until it had become the ruling motive of his life. The love of mammon overbalanced his love for Christ.
1: Those are the words of Ellen G. White in her book, The Desire of Ages, page 716. When Jesus fed the five thousand with five loaves and two fish, Luke chapter 9, Verses ten through seventeen, Judas was the first to grasp the political value of the miracle
0: and set on foot the project to take Christ by force and make him king.
1: The Desire of Ages, pages seven eighteen, and seven nineteen. But Jesus denounced the attempt, and there began Judas's disenchantment.
0: His hopes were high, his disappointment was bitter.
1: The Desire of Ages, page 719. Obviously Judas, as did others, believed that Jesus would use his extraordinary powers to establish a worldly kingdom, and Judas clearly had wanted a place in that kingdom. How tragic! His desire for a place in a temporal kingdom that never came caused him to lose a place in an eternal kingdom that was sure to come another time when a devout follower of jesus chose to anoint his feet with a costly ointment judas decried her act as an economic waste john chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 all judas could see was money and his love of money overshadowed his love of jesus this fixation with money and power Led Judas to put a price tag on the priceless gift of heaven. Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. From then on, Satan entered Judas. Luke chapter 22, verse 3, New King James version. And Judas became a lost soul. There is nothing wrong with status, power, or money. The problem comes when these things, or anything, overshadow our faithfulness to God? Why is it always important to take stock of ourselves so that we don't become as self-deceived as was Judas?
0: Either for him or against him.
1: For all else that it entails, the cross is also the great divider of history, the divider between faith and unbelief, between betrayal and acceptance, and between eternal life and death. There is no middle ground for any human being concerning the cross. In the end, we are on either one side or the other. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, New King James Version. Strong words, and they can make us a bit uncomfortable. But Jesus is simply expressing what is real and what the truth entails for those who are immersed in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. We are with Jesus or with Satan. Yes, it's that stark. Let's consider four examples of people's reaction to Jesus. The Bible passages will be read from the Amplified Bible. What lessons do you learn from their examples that can help you in your own relationship to God, and how you relate to the cross? The Sanhedrin, Luke chapter 22, Verse 53. When I was with you day after day in the temple enclosure, you did not stretch forth your hands against me, but this is your hour, and the power which darkness gives you has its way. What mistakes did these people make? Why did they make them? And how can you protect yourself from doing something similar concerning how they viewed Jesus? Pilate, Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, and verses 13 through 25. Then the whole assembly of them got up and conducted Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, asserting, We found this man perverting, misleading, corrupting, and turning away our nation, and forbidding to pay tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, the Messiah the anointed one, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is just as you say, I am. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the throngs, I find no guilt or crime in this man. But they were urgent and emphatic, saying, He stirs up and excites the people, teaching throughout all Judea, From Galilee, where he began, even to this place. Upon hearing this, Pilate asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he found out certainly that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him up to Herod, a higher authority, who was also in Jerusalem in those days. Verse 13 Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man before me as one who is perverting and misleading and turning away and corrupting the people. And behold, after examining him before you, I have not found any offense, crime or guilt in this man in regard to your accusations against him. No, nor indeed did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Behold, he has done nothing deserving of death. I will therefore chastise him and deliver him amended, reformed, taught his lesson, and release him, for it was necessary for Pilate to release to them one prisoner at the feast. But they all together raised a deep cry from the depths of their throats, saying, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas! He was a man who had been thrown into prison for raising a riot in the city, and for murder. Once more, Pilate called to them, wishing to release Jesus. But they kept shouting out, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What wrong has he done? I have found no offense or crime or guilt in him, nothing deserving of death. I will therefore chastise him in order to teach him better and release him. But they were insistent and urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, accomplished their purpose. And Pilate gave sentence that what they asked should be done. So he released the man who had been thrown into prison for riot and murder, for whom they continued to ask. But Jesus he delivered up to be done with as they willed. What led Pilate to say, I find no fault in him, and at the same time sentence him to be crucified. What can you learn from his mistake in failing to do what he knew was right? Herod, Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. Pilate asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he found out certainly that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him up to Herod a higher authority, who was also in Jerusalem in those days. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had eagerly desired to see him for a long time because of what he had heard concerning him. And he was hoping to witness some sign, some striking evidence or spectacular performance done by him. So he asked him many questions, but he made no reply. Meanwhile, the chief priests and the scribes stood by, continuing vehemently and violently to accuse him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and scoffed at and ridiculed him. Then, dressing him up in bright and gorgeous apparel, he sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, though they had been at enmity before this. What was his big mistake? And what do you learn from it? The Two Thieves Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43 One of the criminals, who was suspended, kept up a railing at him, saying, Are you not the Christ, the Messiah? Rescue yourself and us from death. But the other one reproved him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you yourself are under the same sentence of condemnation and suffering the same penalty? And we indeed suffer it justly, receiving the due reward of our actions. But this man has done nothing out of the way, nothing strange or eccentric or perverse or unreasonable. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingly glory. And he answered him, Truly I tell you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Two sinners look at the same cross, and have two different reactions. How does this scene reveal the either-or aspect of salvation? That is, we are either on one side of the great controversy, or on the other. risen. Early Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb with a single purpose, to complete the burial ritual. Despite the time they had spent with Jesus, they had not truly understood what was to happen. They were certainly not expecting an empty tomb or to be told by heavenly messengers, He is not here, but is risen. Luke chapter 24, verse 6. In the first few chapters of Acts alone there are at least 8 references to the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 22. From the baptism of John at the outset until the day when he was taken up from among us one of these men must join with us and become a witness to testify to his resurrection. Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 36. But Peter standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. "'You Jews, and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be explained to you, so that you will know and understand. Listen closely to what I have to say. For these men are not drunk, as you imagine, for it is only the third hour about nine a.m. of the day. But instead, this is the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel, And it shall come to pass in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels. And your young men shall see visions, divinely granted appearances. And your old men shall dream divinely suggested dreams. Yes, and on my servants also, and on my maidservants in those days, I will pour out of my spirit. And they shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels, and predicting future events pertaining especially to God's kingdom. And I will show wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before the obvious day of the Lord comes, that great and notable and conspicuous and renowned day. And it shall be that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, invoking, adoring, and worshiping the Lord Christ, shall be saved. You men of Israel, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited and pointed out, and shone forth and commended and attested to you by God, by the mighty works and the power of performing wonders, and signs which God worked through him, right in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, when delivered up according to the definite and fixed purpose and settled plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and put out of the way, killing him by the hands of lawless and wicked men. But God raised him up, liberating him from the pangs of death, seeing that it was not possible for him to continue to be controlled or retained by it. For David says in regard to him, I saw the Lord constantly before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken or overthrown or cast down, from my secure and happy state. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue exulted exceedingly. Moreover, my flesh also will dwell in hope, will encamp, pitch its tent, and dwell in hope in anticipation of the resurrection. For you will not abandon my soul, leaving it helpless in Hades, the state of departed spirits, nor let your Holy One know decay or see destruction of the body after death. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will enrapture me, diffusing my soul with joy with and in your presence. Brethren, it is permitted me to tell you, confidently and with freedom, concerning the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day being, however, a prophet, and knowing that God had sealed to him with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke by foreknowledge of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not deserted in death and left in Hades, the state of departed spirits, nor did his body know decay or see destruction. This Jesus, God raised up, And of that all we, his disciples, are witnesses. Being therefore lifted high by, and to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised blessing, which is the Holy Spirit, he has made this outpouring which you yourselves both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, yet he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and share my throne until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt and acknowledge assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Acts chapter 3 verses 14-15. through 15. But you denied and rejected, and disowned the pure and holy, the just and blameless one, and demanded the pardon of a murderer to be granted to you. But you killed the very source, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts chapter 4 verses 1, 2, 10, 12, and 33. Verse 1, And while they, Peter and John, were talking to the people, the high priests and the military commander of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being vexed and indignant through and through, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the case of Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10, Let it be known and understood by all of you, and by the whole house of Israel, that in the name and through the power and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, in him and by means of him, this man is standing here before you well and sound in body. Verse 12. And there is salvation in and through no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by and in which we must be saved. Verse 33, and with great strength and ability and power, the apostles delivered their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace, loving kindness and favor and goodwill rested richly upon them all. Acts chapter 5, verses 30 through 32, the God of our forefathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, a cross. God exalted him to his right hand to be prince and leader and savior and deliverer and preserver in order to grant repentance to Israel and to bestow forgiveness and release from sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And the Holy Spirit is also whom God has bestowed on those who obey him. Why was the resurrection of Jesus so pivotal in apostolic preaching? and in the faith of the early church. Why is it still so important today as well? Luke chapter 24, verses 10 and 11 report the disciples' reaction to the report by several ladies that Jesus had resurrected. Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who reported these things to the apostles. But these reports seemed to the men an idle tale. Madness, feigned things, nonsense, and they did not believe the women. The women were first-hand eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They rushed to share this good news with others, but no one believed them. Instead, the apostles dismissed the greatest story in redemptive history as idle tales of exhausted and grieving women. How soon they were to learn just how wrong they were. The resurrection of Christ is foundational to God's redemptive act and to the totality of Christian faith and existence. The Apostle Paul makes that very clear. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 14, New King James Version. It is empty or vain because only in Christ's resurrection can we find the hope that is ours. Without that hope our lives here end and they end for eternity. Christ's life didn't end in a tomb and the great promise is that ours won't either. Here is a quote from page 318 of George Eldon Ladd's book, A Theology of the New Testament, published by William B. Erdman's Grand Rapids in 1974. If Christ is not risen from the dead, the long course of God's redemptive acts to save his people ends in a dead-end street, in a tomb. If the resurrection of Christ is not reality, then we have no assurance that God is the living God, for death has the last word. Faith is futile because the object of that faith has not vindicated himself as the Lord of life. Christian faith is then incarcerated in the tomb, along with the final and highest self-revelation of God in Christ, if Christ is indeed dead.
0: must be fulfilled.
1: Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49, tells us about the events immediately after Christ's resurrection. And behold, that very day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had occurred. And while they were conversing and discussing together, Jesus himself caught up with them and was already accompanying them. But their eyes were held so that they did not recognize him. And he said to them, What is this discussion that you are exchanging, throwing back and forth between yourselves as you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad and downcast. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Do you alone dwell as a stranger in Jerusalem, and not know the things that have occurred there in these days? And he said to them, What kind of things? And they said to him, About Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in work, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers gave him up to be sentenced to death, and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who would redeem and set Israel free. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things occurred. And moreover, some women of our company astounded us and drove us out of our senses. They were at the tomb early in the morning, but did not find his body, and returned saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, sluggish in mind, dull of perception, and slow of heart to believe, adhere to, entrust in, and rely on everything that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary and essentially fitting that the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, should suffer all these things before entering into his glory, his majesty and splendor? Then, beginning with Moses, and throughout all the prophets, he went on explaining and interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things concerning and referring to himself. Then they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he would go further. But they urged and insisted, saying to him, Remain with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And it occurred that as he reclined at table with them, he took a loaf of bread, and praised God, and gave thanks, and asked the blessing, and then broke it, and was giving it to them. When their eyes were instantly opened, and they clearly recognized him, and he vanished, departed invisibly." And they said to one another, Were not our hearts greatly moved and burning within us while he was talking with us on the road as he opened and explained to us the sense of the scriptures? And rising up that very hour, they went back to Jerusalem where they found the eleven apostles gathered together and those who were with them, who said, The Lord really has risen and appeared to Simon Peter. Then they themselves related in full what had happened on the road, how he was known and recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Now, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself took his stand among them and said to them, Peace, freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin, be to you. But they were so startled and terrified that they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you disturbed and troubled? And why do such doubts and questionings arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Feel and handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and while since they could not believe it for sheer joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything which is written concerning me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he thoroughly opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from among the dead, and that repentance, with a view to and as the condition of, forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name to all nations." beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised, but remain in the city, Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. In the various encounters, what does Jesus point to, to help these people understand what happened to him? And why is that so important? Even for us today, in our witness to the world, the resurrection of Jesus should have been enough evidence to establish the Messiahship of Jesus. Beaten and brutalized before being crucified and eventually pierced, Jesus was then wrapped and placed in a tomb. Even if, as some have ridiculously suggested, he had survived both the cross and the burial, Even if, as some have ridiculously suggested, he had survived both the cross and the burial, a bloodied and battered and weakened Jesus, somehow staggering from the tomb, would not have been anyone's idea of a victorious Messiah. Nevertheless, there Jesus was, alive and well enough to walk for at least a few miles with the two men on the road to Emmaus. And yet, Even then, before revealing who he was, Jesus pointed them to the scriptures, giving them a firm biblical foundation for their faith in him. Then, when he appeared to the disciples, showed them his flesh, and ate with them, Jesus did more. He pointed them to the word of God. Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, New King James Version. Here, too, Jesus not only pointed to the scriptures, besides the evidence that he was actually alive and among them, but he used scriptures to help them understand exactly what had happened to him. Also, he directly linked his resurrection with the mission to preach the gospel to all nations. So, even with all the powerful evidence proving who Jesus was, he always pointed his followers back to the word of God. After all, without the word of God among us today, how would we know of our calling and mission to preach the gospel to the world? How would we even know what the gospel was? The Bible is, then, as central to us today as it was to Jesus and his disciples. How much time do you spend with the Bible? How does it impact how you live? the choices you make, and how you treat others.
0: Continue exploring. The significance of the death of Christ will be seen by saints and angels. Fallen men could not have a home in the paradise of God without the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Shall we not then exalt the cross of Christ? The angels ascribe honor and glory to Christ. For even they are not secure, except by looking to the sufferings of the Son of God. It is through the efficacy of the cross that the angels of heaven are guarded from apostasy. Without the cross, they would be no more secure against evil than were the angels before the fall of Satan. Angelic perfection failed in heaven. Human perfection failed in Eden, the paradise of bliss. All who wish for security in earth or heaven must look to the Lamb of God.
1: Those profound words were penned by Ellen G. White and are published in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1132. The issues of sin really are truly universal. Even the angels are not secure except by looking to Jesus. Friend, what does that mean for you and me? Let's exalt the cross of Christ in our lives. Here are a few more final thoughts. As Christians, we have to live by faith, that is, we have to believe in something that we can't fully prove, that we don't have direct eyewitness evidence for. Of course, people do that all the time in a lot of things. For instance, in the context of science, one author wrote, In summary, we have direct evidence for a surprisingly small number of the beliefs we hold. As Christians, We have to live by faith. That is, we have to believe in something that we can't fully prove, that we don't have direct eyewitness evidence for. Of course, people do that all the time in a lot of things. For instance, in the context of science, one author wrote, In summary, we have direct evidence for a surprisingly small number of the beliefs we hold. So wrote Richard DeWitt. In his book, World Views, an Introduction to the History and Philosophy of Science, 2nd edition, Chichester, West Sussex, United Kingdom, published by John Wiley & Sons, Limited, 2010, page 15. Nevertheless, we have many very good reasons for our faith, for the things we believe in. In the context of the Great Commission, For instance, Jesus said to the disciples, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, New King James Version Think about the time that Jesus spoke these words. How large was his following at the time? How many people had believed in him? or even had any understanding of who he was and what he was going to accomplish. Think, too, about all the opposition that the early church was to face for centuries in the Roman Empire. Keeping all these facts in mind, how remarkable a prediction this statement of Jesus was, and how it can help you trust in the word of God.
0: org. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse